Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Hello, welcome back to Growing Greener, the podcast that explores small steps we can take in our gardens to make big changes in the environment. I'm Ara Anderson. In this episode, we're talking rubbish. Well, not rubbish, but rotted garden waste, a.k.a. compost. According to recent Royal Horticultural Society surveys, only 30% of UK gardeners compost. Why so few? Compost is one of the simplest and biggest contributors to the reduction of carbon a gardener can make. Plus, it saves you money. It's amazing for your plants, your soil and the biodiversity in your garden. It reduces landfill and carbon and petrol miles in waste disposal. Win, win, win. So why the reluctance to get stuck into the muck? My guest today argues that myths and misunderstandings have put many people off. Many people think that making and using compost will be hard work, prone to failure, smelly and full of rats. Not so, my guest today argues. Kenneth Thompson literally wrote the book, or a book, on compost, and he is keen to demystify the process, inspire gardeners that compost is environmental black gold, not a load of old rot. Ken, hello. Welcome to Gardener's World Growing Greener podcast. Hi there. It's lovely to have you on. I'm very excited actually about uh, our talk about compost. I think with compost, it's got a lot of myths around it there's a lot of worry around it you know there's a lot of aesthetic issues around it which we'll we'll talk about all of those things but let's kind of go back to basics i mean it's a it's i'm going to give you a nice little pun here is compost a garden miracle or is it just a load of old rot (laughs) that was pretty bad but i had to get it it in (laughs) that that was pretty bad Uh, but but it's an easy one to answer because it is a load of old rot If you manage to get to the end of my compost book, you'll notice that I conclude with a sentence that says, making compost is not like any other job you will do 
in the garden or in the house, you know, in sort of DIY line, where things can just go badly wrong, you know? You're left with a leaking tap or the paint's the wrong colour or, you know, just something has gone awfully wrong. Compost isn't like that because ever since the dawn of life, frankly, stuff has been dying, falling on the ground and decomposing and its components being turned back into new stuff. <laughs> and that's all compost is, actually. You know, it's watching stuff decompose um, or not even watching stuff decompose, letting it decompose while you're not watching. And uh, in a sense, you know, time and everything else, time and natural forces are uh, are on your side. You know, in a, in a sense, you can't go wrong. That's always been my opinion. It's always been my experience, frankly. I look around and I see people who worry about making compost and I think, how can you worry about making compost, you know? Of all the things you can worry about, making compost must be surely somewhere near the bottom <laughs> of the list. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that thought process. We, you know, we, sh we shouldn't worry about it, but we do. If I'm talking potting compost or garden compost, is it, is it all one thing? No, it's not. What we're talking about today is semi-decomposed waste, garden waste, kitchen waste. Potting compost is something quite different. This is the stuff you buy in a sack from the garden centre, peat-free, of course. Of course. You can use your own garden compost to make potting compost if you want. I don't bother, but you can do. And, and I know lots of people do. Lots of recipes on the internet for mixing it with loam and so on. Yeah, so if you want to, you can. Before we, we think about what to do and how to do it, let's kind of really understand and go into what it is and what it does for the garden. Well, we've got to start with soil, haven't we? I mean, at this point, I could frankly just say that people could turn off and listen to your earlier terrific podcast with my old mate Duncan Cameron from Sheffield on soil, because he said he said everything that needs to be said, frankly. But and I and I'm you know I'm stealing his thunder here. But the point is, soil it looks like dull dull brown stuff, but it's actually an unbelievably active, diverse ecosystem, and it's the health of your whole garden and everything that grows in it. And everything else that lives above ground in your garden depends on the health of that soil ecosystem. And that soil ecosystem depends, obviously, on carbon from above ground. Now, some of that carbon gets into the soil directly from plants. Plants actually secrete chemicals into the soil and, and roots die and stuff like that. But some of it, some of it is added to the top of the soil by plants dying leaves falling off in the winter, annual plants dying, perennial plants dying off in the winter and falling on the ground. And that is a major input of carbon into the soil and a major part of therefore keeping the soil ecosystem functioning nicely. And if you don't do that, if you take all that stuff and instead you put it in the bin that's going to landfill or an incinerator or something, or you get your council to take it away, you're depriving your garden of all that carbon, all that food, all those nutrients 
you're basically throwing good stuff away if you don't compost. That's the bottom line. And not only that, not only is it good for your soil ecosystem when it gets into the into the soil, it has good physical effects on the soil. You put a nice layer of compost, garden compost, on the soil surface, keeps the soil moist. If the soil's warm, it keeps it warm. It's a nice insulator. It prevents weed seeds in the soil from germinating because it keeps the light from the soil. It stops soil structure being damaged by heavy rain because it protects the soil physically. There's, there's basically no end to the list of wonderful things that compost does for you, all for nothing. But it's something that is, you know, with all of those benefits, it's quite interesting to read that according to the RHS, only 30% of UK gardeners compost their own garden waste. How do you think that is? Oh, deep sigh. Honestly. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you feel oh. bad. Do you know when I read that RHS survey result uh, uh, last year, I, I had to read it. And, and I had to go, you know, like for a walk and come back and read it again to make sure I hadn't misread, you know, put the decimal point in the wrong place or something. Because gardening and making compost, it's like I'm struggling to think of an analogy. It's like breathing in and breathing out, <laughs> you know. It's like bread and butter, fish and chips. Gardening and composting go together so naturally that how you garden without composting what your thought processes are if you think you can garden and yet throw all your garden waste and kitchen waste away, I just don't understand. But I think some of it, some of it is kind of self-inflicted by people, frankly, like you and me, pundits, who tell gardeners, maybe not so much now, but in the past, I think there's been a tendency for gardening magazines and books, certainly in the past, maybe not so much now, to make gardening, not just compost making, but everything about gardening, seem a bit more complicated and a bit more mysterious than it really is. And in fact, composting, as I will keep repeating, couldn't be simpler. People need to know that. I understand what you, what you mean in terms of this mystique around gardening. Because I know when I started to garden, you know, I had no clue. I, I, it was the first time I'd got a garden. And of course, you're overwhelmed with all of these Latin names and special terms, etc. And it does feel very overwhelming. And there is, I think certainly when you're starting out, there is this worry about getting things wrong. And I guess what comes into that is composting would be one of those things. But I'm listening to you because obviously it's great when you, know, you do simplify it so much. It's simple. So I'm going to keep taking that away. It's simple. I'm looking at it now thinking that number, that 30% of why people don't compost. And I've, I'm going to use my own garden as an example, and maybe that's representative of the gardens across the UK. I don't have acreage. I have a very small Victorian house with a small garden. And some of my borders, uh, Ken, might only be a metre deep, metre and a half. You know, I've got the classic rectangular garden and Space is tight. I'm trying to get as much in there for my borders. I need a pathway to get to the end of the garden. And it does become, I guess, that toss-up, doesn't it, between space, the aesthetic, can I do it? I'm just trying to think out loud as these the barriers as to why not to be doing it, worrying about the rats and the mice or whatever else that might come into the garden. So I think it's sort of breaking down some of that. Maybe these are some of the reasons why people don't compost um, like they did before 
I suppose garden size must have something to do with it. But when you stop and think about it, your garden and the space you need to compost your garden waste are in proportion. Like if you have a small garden, you don't produce much waste. So composting it doesn't take much space. I mean, Wisley and Kew have compost heaps the size of houses, but you don't need a compost heap that size. My garden's not big, and I have two of those conical recycled plastic sort of Daleks, you know, and they take up hardly any space at all. I don't feel put out by them, you know. I don't feel like they're impinging, like they're getting in the way of anything I want to grow. And they're perfectly suited to my size of my garden. And if you had a smaller garden, you could scale down your composting system and make it even smaller, frankly. It works. It doesn't matter how small your compost heap is. It still works. Well, that's, I think that's what's really key there because I think we're just sort of, sorry, just coming in on, on that spacing. So it's great that you've said, look, of course, it makes sense when you say it like that, that your waste that you produce is going to be proportionate hope to the size of your garden um, but things like the size of the compost heap now there's a lot of uh, conversation around the fact that you know there's got to be this real heat generation that goes on and for the heat generation to go on it needs to be a big compost and it's got to have layers to it it's got to be on the sunny side of the border where obviously that's where you want to optimize your lovely plants to be so it's what about this whole thing about the heat and the size ratio ken That's a really good question because I think that all ties in again to the whole subject of unrealistic expectations, followed by a feeling of failure if things don't work out the way you've been told they should work out. And do you know there's only one really good piece of genuine, properly replicated scientific work on domestic composting, as far as I can figure out, that's ever been done by a guy called Paul Alexander, who you may have met years ago, I don't know. He he used to be the RHS's compost supremo. He's left the RHS now. And he did the obvious experiment about 15 years ago now. He just had lots, he had a mountain of Wisley waste and he just put it in different size compost heaps, in diff, not different size compost heaps. Well, they were slightly different because they were in different containers. He had open heaps, he had ones in plastic, things like mine. He had, he had wooden square bins, you know, and then he had a huge Wisley-sized heap. And some of them he turned and some of them he didn't and all the rest. The obvious experiment. It's a brilliant piece of work. It's the only work there is, frankly. And what he showed is really simple. And that is that an ordinary domestic-sized compost heap, whether it's in a wooden bin or a plastic bin or no bin at all, isn't big enough to get hot. That's the bottom line. The small compost heap, domestic like you and I would have, never got more than about a degree or two degrees above ambient air temperature. In other words, it didn't get hot. And the reason's simple. Small amount of compost makes heat just like a large amount of compost. Decomposition generates heat. But a small compost heap just has too large a surface area relative to the volume, loses heat too quickly, so never gets properly hot. And if you expect a small, ordinary domestic compost heap to get hot, you'll be disappointed. If you have an enormous heap, and Paul showed this, he had, a, he had another heap, he had a massive heap of whistly waste, that got really hot. 
and just stayed hot for a year. 50, 60, 70 degrees. Just hot all the time. All the compost was making heat the same way, but the big heat just wasn't losing it. So it stayed hot. Small heat doesn't get hot. You're out there trying to compost. Don't expect your heat to get hot, other than very, very briefly under very unusual conditions. Basically, it won't. Okay. And, then, and it doesn't matter. And that's what I was going to ask, because, you know, you know, always think about with that heat, that you need the heat for the decomposition. You need the heat for, I say, killing or reducing certain bacterium. You don't need a hot compost heat to make compost. You will make compost, even if your heat stays absolutely at normal air temperature. There are just, there are bugs, animals, bacteria in your heap. The ones in a cool heap and the ones in a hot heap are different because the stuff that lives in a cool heap wouldn't survive in a hot heap, but they're all doing the same job. And your cold heap may take longer, but it will produce. This is the other outcome of Paul's big experiment. He found that the little heaps produce perfectly good compost after a year, just as good as the big heap. They just took longer to do it. Now, a hot heap, of course, does do some good things. It kills weed seeds because they're killed by the heat. It kills any perennial weeds you may have put in there, you know, like dandelion taproots or whatever. But the key thing is, if you don't want those in your compost heap, try to make sure they don't go in there in the first place. So don't shovel lots of weeds with seeds on them. In fact, don't let your weeds seed in the first place anyway. That's good garden management anyway. And if they do, don't put them in the compost heap because then you'll just spread them around the garden. Um, perennial weeds, like bindweed rhizomes and so on, kill them before they go in the compost. That's simple. Just leave them somewhere dry, sunny, till they're nice and shriveled. You know when they're dead. Go in the compost heap, they'll compost along with everything else. That's really interesting about the whole heat thing. And it's really good to hear those um, experiments that have gone on at Wisley as well, because that was always my concern about, is it getting hot enough and is that going to work? So that's really good to know. And interesting, you talked about what goes in. Obviously, if it's hot enough, you can put pretty much anything in. I think there's that concern, isn't there, with people worrying about putting in foodstuffs and certainly meat because of it might attract um, rodents. So I think it's fair to say, let's leave those out of people's compost unless they're happy to have that <laughs> the rodent activity. So let's talk about waste, actually, which is what this is all about, Ken. So again, you know, we've, so we've, we've identified that there's not as many people composting as they could be. The amount of waste that's actually leaving our homes is incredible, isn't it, really? It is. It is. I mean... And you're saying we could be composting. We're all much more aware now, I think, of, of recycling. I mean, recycling's really become important, really front and centre of many people's minds um, in the last few years. And I always say that, you know... If you like to recycle, frankly, making compost is the easiest recycling you'll ever do. You know, people say, oh, God, recycling's hard work. You know, I have to decide what goes in which box and what goes in which bin. And I've got something here and it's not on the list and it doesn't go in any box. And can I recycle it? When it comes to compost, all those things go out of the window. Anything from your garden can be composted. 
anything remotely vegetable from your kitchen can be can be composted. Um, the weirdest things can be composted, basically, as long as they were once alive. So <laughs> if you're, if you're, well, yeah, well, I know I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you're laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm not well, talking if, about roadkill here. But if, I was if trying you, to kind of visualise, you know, like, you know to, a little menagerie of things, that, you know, and well, okay, but anyway. If you're um, one of these cheapskates, <laughs> if you're one of these cheapskates, for example, like me, who cuts their own hair, for example, or or your partner's hair, that goes in the compost. That's great. Compost, you know, it's just protein, hair. Um, can, we, can we ask that people get permission before they cut people's hair, though? <laughs> I've, got, I've got this vision now of gardeners going, oh, so I need that. I need that and cutting yeah. off neighbours' heads. So just saying for the record, do get permission from the living person do, first. Do get permission from the person <laughs> whose hair you're stealing. Um, old, old clothes. Old clothes, as long as they're made of wool or cotton, not man-made material. You can just shred them, put them in the compost heap. They'll compost along with everything else. It's amazing what you can compost, frankly. And in the end, it's all pure self-interest. You're doing it because you're producing some good stuff that will make your pants grow better. So you don't need persuading to do it. You do it because it's good for you. No, that's it. And I th- and I think, you know, the, the household waste, the eggshells and you know, the cardboard boxes and the paper and thing. I mean, obviously, I think people are, are sensible enough to know that if anything's got plastics within it or if they're concerned about anything having sort of inks on it that may be harmful, you've got to think about, like you said, it's got to be purist in the sense that, you know, because it's going to end up being in your soil and on your plants and maybe your veggies or whatever. Well, yeah, yeah. But here again, people's worries are mostly unfounded, frankly. Paper and cardboard, frankly, are great in the compost heap. And I say this because the typical stuff that goes in your compost heap, typical garden waste, typical kitchen waste, especially if you've got a big lawn and you produce a lot of lawn mowings, it's quite soft, sort of nutrient-rich, wet sort of stuff. And if your compost is just full of nothing but that, it can go a bit airless, and a bit slimy, and that's when people think they're having problems with it. But the way to cure that is just to keep a little store of waste cardboard, cereal boxes, egg boxes, toilet roll middles, you name it, and just scrunch that up, mix that in with it, and that just, as it were, kind of lightens the mix, adds a bit more carbon, balances out the ingredients, and it all works much better. So quite a few things that you normally think of go in a recycling box can actually go in your in your compost bin. And I always say one of the best things, actually, is we all have, you know, we all worry these days about identity theft and we have documents, you know, old bank statements and stuff from insurance companies and about investments and God knows what that we don't want. And what do we do with them? We only set fire to them or shred them or compost them. Scrunch them up in the compost bin. Frankly, a day later, they're gone. Yeah, no, very good. I like it. I like it. I've got the, there's many chores to be done in the house, hair cutting and shredding, which is very good. But, but with you know, what, what goes into the uh, compost, which is great, you know, a lot of the household waste can, can sensibly go in there. 
just can we just touch a little bit more on carbon and, and nitrogen in terms of this mix? People kind of hear about the kind of green waste and the brown waste, as it were. And, you know, again, keeping that simplicity, because it can feel like it gets very complicated on the ratios of what you're supposed to put into that compost heap. The thing is, not not to worry too much about that. Again, some of the advice about composting makes it sound like if you don't get the ratio just right, it won't work. Actually, there's quite a wide variation in what your compost heap will take and will still work perfectly well. But the, the key thing is, and I think this is where some people do go wrong, is what I was just saying a moment ago about most of your garden waste, most of your kitchen waste being a bit high in nitrogen and other nutrients, a bit high in water and a bit low in carbon. And if that's all you put in your compost heap, it can just settle into an airless, damp mass. And the compost bugs, they need food, they need water, but they need air. And I think this is one of the reasons that people sometimes think that compost heaps need turning. Because if your compost heap's gone a bit airless, you think, I need to get some air in there, so I need to shake it up a bit, turn it up. But if you follow, follow the recipe of just keeping a bit of spare cardboard and a few old bank statements, just to lighten the mix there, it'll work perfectly well and that will solve that problem. Okay, great. So that, that's really kind of nice and clear. It t- talking about the sort of, you've got the compost heap, which is great. And I think hopefully we're clear now that, you know, your garden waste, the household waste, no space too small. And we don't need loads of heat. So that's really clearing those things up. Let's just touch on um, leaf mould because we could obviously just chuck the leaves into the um, into the regular compost heap. But is there? do you like the practice of actually creating leaf mould separately and keeping that as a separate um, compost? It's all a matter of balance. It's all a matter of balance. Your ordinary everyday compost heap will take a few leaves, but... It will be overwhelmed if you have, you know, if you have, say, a big oak tree or a big beech tree dumps all its leaves on your garden, it won't take those leaves. And the reason is they're just very low in nutrients. They're very high in lignin and phenols. They're really slow to break down and they will just stop your compost heap in its tracks, basically. So if you have lots access to lots of leaves like that and you want to do something with them, You want basically what amounts to a separate compost heap, which can be an ordinary compost heap, frankly. I mean, people talk about putting leaves to make leaf mould in all kinds of weird containers and plastic bags and God knows what. But you don't need to. An extra compost heap, which you just fill with leaves and leave it. And that that decomposition is a bit slower. It's, it's entirely fungal, whereas most of your decomposition is bacterial in the ordinary compost heap, so it's slower. But just in the end, produces equally nice stuff, leaf bulk. I think that's the thing, is it? Because sometimes there are leaves that are more waxy, uh, maybe on some of the evergreens. And oh, so- yeah, yeah, yeah. Evergreen leaves especially, evergreen leaves, and leaves that are really brown when they hit the ground as well, when they fall, like beech, oak, chestnut. Some leaves, some tree leaves, are surprisingly easy to compost. If you have, say, a cherry tree or an ash tree, cherry ash leaves are quite nutrient-rich still. When they, A clue is the colour. A clue is the colour. If, if the leaves fall off 
if you've got a tree and the leaves fall on the ground in the autumn and they look a bit green or a bit yellow, they're probably not so bad in the compost heap. If they look brown and tough, think of beech leaves. Keep them on their own. They could be a bit tricky. Now, my, my Acer always gets a little bit um, of powdery mildew, unfortunately. This seems to be a bit susceptible to it. So in terms of if there's any um, material in the garden that has any sort of disease or, or pest, what, what's your final say on those sorts of things? Most diseases are not moved around the garden via compost. In other words, if they're in the garden and you compost them, Either the composting process will kill them or at least reduce their abundance anyway. Or it won't matter. It won't make a difference. I mean, people worry about blight, for example. If you've got blighted tomatoes or potato foliage, people say, oh, my God, can I compost that? And the answer is, you can. Because tomatoes and potatoes don't get blight from compost. They get it from spores in the air. And there are spores in the air, whether it's in the compost heap or not. Yeah, and that's because, again, this, that... Theory to want to get that one in because, of course, people are thinking about, oh, if it's not getting hot enough, it won't get killed. But it's not about that. It's it's thinking about where it's come from in the first place. So so we've kind of now talked so I can use my leaves, use the household stuff. Now Christmas is coming. It's coming as it always does every year. And there are those little Christmas trees that we see ready to be dumped out on what? Fifth, whenever, you know, fifth of, fifth of January, is it? What about those? Can we be using those in the compost? Well, spruce and needles are very, very slow to decompose. Personally, I just let all the needles fall off and then just chuck them on the garden because unless you have a compost, unless you have a Christmas tree the size of the one Trafalgar Square, you don't have a huge quantity of needles. And if you have any acid-loving plants in your garden, if you have camellias or rhododendrons or whatever, that's the place to put them. Because they, when they decompose, they make really acid litter. So that's the thing to do. The woody bits, just chop them up, including sawing up the big bit. If your council has a, a green waste collection service, give it to your council. I have a wood burner, like a lot of people. So after it's dried for a while, I just burn it. One thing that I touched upon earlier is about the aesthetic aesthetics in gardens and aesthetic of the compost and you know and space coming back to a little bit of that again is it possible or you know where 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 has your your experience shown if people literally wanted to directly put the waste onto the soil as is i'll tell you why I, i did a garden one time and i remember sort of digging in a couple of plants you know going to dig in put to plants and plants up and all of a sudden there was just all this upturn of potato peelings. And the client, you know, she was, I think she was Syrian. She's a lovely lady. And she just literally put her waist straight into the ground and didn't even, you know, didn't have, a, it wasn't an area. It was just, it was just across the beds. And I was like, oh, and one, and then it made sense as to why there were these little potato <laughs> seedlings coming up <laughs> through the garden. But in her principle of how she thought about gardens, on it went straight onto the border. So what's, what's the thought process about that? Bear in mind, our British aesthetic to gardening. It is all about aesthetics. Because, of course, your Syrian lady is absolutely right. There is nothing wrong at all with just letting everything in your garden that dies fall onto the ground and decompose in its own time. There's actually nothing wrong with taking your potato peelings, 
opening the back door and simply throwing them out into the garden, onto the flower bed, and they'll stay there for a while and eventually, quite quickly, surprisingly, they will decompose. But we don't do that because while it's happening, it does not look very nice, does it? (laughs) It's not the best. It's not the best look. It's not the best look. From a purely functional aspect, if you did that and you were prepared to put up with all the neighbours laughing at you, (laughs) you could do that. That's cutting out the middleman. Then you don't need a compost heap because your composting is going on. But all your compost heap is, is it's tidying up that process and putting it all in one space where you you can keep an eye on it and then put it out. Now, the $64,000 question that you're leading up to here is, when is it done? When is compost done? Now, my wife and I have been married a very long time. It doesn't matter. We still disagree about when the compost is done. <laughs> I'm shoveling I'm shoveling the compost on the garden, and she says, it's not done. And I say, yes, it is. We've said this for the last 50 years. <laughs> I hope it's done in 50 years. I hope that. <laughs> yeah. And, and people, people just, frankly, it's up to you. It's up to you. She's right. I'm right. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever you can tolerate. I can tolerate compost looking a little bit lumpy, a bit stringy, a bit with, with still with some recognisable sort of leaves and twigs in it. She can't. But again, let me bring you back to putting people off composting because of unrealistic expectations. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, pin the blame on anyone here. But frankly, people who show you what compost should look like on TV because they have big compost heaps that work hot and generate really good compost very quickly tend to say, "Oh, look at my compost," you know, and the cameraman's zooms in and it looks it looks good enough to eat doesn't it and so everyone thinks oh that's what my compost should look like uh and if it isn't like that yet it will get like that eventually but if it isn't like that yet it's not done but actually compost that looks a bit lumpy a bit heterogeneous will work just as well as stuff that looks like it's come out of a sack from the garden center and it's entirely up to you I mean, I know we've been sort of teasing a little bit, but the reason why I bring it up, it is important, the aesthetic thing, because I'm finding that the more I delve into sort of environmental issues and certainly everybody using, you know, the word sustainability and wanting to be more sustainable, the recycle, etc., it is actually going to challenge the aesthetic of what we do now because a lot of our convenience, i.e., going to the garden centre and being able to just pick up, pick up bags of beautiful crumb-like compost because it looks good is going to be a challenge to the to the visual if we're going to compost ourselves. And I think this is the you know the the thing with um, all of these activities that we're doing within the garden. This is why it's so really good to explore composting, which we know is a is a garden activity. We're not doing it enough environmentally, this is the way to go, right? This is really the environmental benefits of composting is more than just having a heap in the bottom of the garden. Yeah. The environmental benefits are so important. Someone doesn't have to come and pick it up and take it away and stick it in a hole in the ground or burn it or whatever. There's no transport involved. If you throw it away... All the nutrients, all the nitrogen, the phosphorus, potassium in, in the stuff in your garden 
it's leaving the garden. Your garden's running down gradually from a nutrient perspective because you're, you're packing off all the nutrients to somewhere else. You should be, in fact, if your compost heap has your kitchen waste in, your kitchen waste is a major nutrient subsidy to your garden. All that orange peel and cabbage stalks and potato peelings and banana skins are full of nitrogen and phosphorus that you've brought from the supermarket. Why not keep it? Why not add it to your garden? Gardeners buy far more fertilizer than they need. You don't need much fertilizer anyway, frankly. The average garden's soil is far too fertile. But you need even less if you make your own compost because you're recycling all your nutrients and you're actually adding more nutrients from the local supermarket. So what's not to like? It just does make so much sense. And I think this is yeah, really what I wanted to get to is the fact that this is an important part of you know, being sustainable. I think with gardening, we we love our flowers. We love the joy of gardening. We know all of its benefits. But I think getting into the engine room, as it were, of, of really understanding. So, yeah, it was great that you referenced the soil podcast that we did with Duncan because that was really fascinating. And treating it like a living organism. And, of course, with the compost, it's there to feed the soil isn't it that's it's that's what it's doing it's actually there to uh, i say feed but to support the, the microorganisms in the ecosystem within it give me a plug and give me a, a real hard hitting i'm still like i'm still worried i'm still a bit concerned what can i go away with what can i leave this podcast knowing that i've learned from chem all the barriers all the difficulties of composting that you everyone has ever mentioned to you are all fictitious you fill a compost heap with garden waste, kitchen waste, scrunched up paper and cardboard. You leave it. A year later, it's done. Shovel it on the garden. Don't dig it in. Shovel it on the garden. And another plug. This is a plug for you. We've talked about your terrific com- uh, podcast with Duncan. People should also listen to your terrific podcast with Tim Lang about growing your own. Okay? Because that's because that's good too. And actually, while we're at it, listen to the water and listen to the well-being. Um, I won't go on. All of them. All of them. <laughs> but, <laughs> listen to all of listen, them. Oh, that's so kind of you. But um, but it's been absolutely brilliant um, talking with you. I love how you have just debunked all of the concerns that we've got about composting because you know, your, your book that you've got out is, I, I loved it, pictures, big writing, to the point, it was re- really great, Ken. And I think that, you know, if we can get more people composting and, you know, get a little bit more confident, that's what it's about. Because it is not just, it's the garden is part of the environment. And if, we, if we're if we saying that we want to help the environment, this is definitely one way to do it. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Make sure to subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts, so you'll never miss an episode New episodes will be released every Thursday. For more information on everything we've discussed today, go to gardenersworld.com 